We are now decades into the digital revolution. So why haven't high-tech audio streams caught up to old-fashioned radio waves? Hi, it's Todd Bishop, and that was my question on last week's GeekWire podcast. After conducting an experiment that was inspired by the tradition of tuning into the play-by-play announcers while watching a baseball game in the stands. During a Seattle Mariners game at T-Mobile Park, I found that the audio streams from various smartphone apps were at least 30 seconds behind the action on the field, and sometimes even further behind. That meant there were multiple pitches between what I was seeing with my eyes and hearing in my ears. It compared to a lag of just a few seconds when listening on a $22 battery-powered AM transistor radio. I offered my theories about the reasons for this last week, and I heard from a bunch of you who listened to the podcast or read the article. I also reached out and received a response from Major League Baseball, which I'll share later. But first, I got a great technical explanation from streaming media veteran Rob Green, who was group manager of Microsoft's digital media division from 1998 to 2006. Rob went on to lead a variety of tech and digital media startups, including a past role as CEO of Seattle-based Abacast, which streamed broadcast radio stations online. Green is a longtime GeekWire reader who emailed me after last week's post, and I jumped on the line with him for the full explanation. So based on the email you sent me, Rob, you would have told me even before I got to the ballpark last week that my experiment was going to fail, or at least you could have told me the outcome that terrestrial radio would have been faster to my ears than the internet stream. Correct. Why? So that's a great question. This is my simple way of describing it. Broadcast, whether it's radio, TV, assumes a perfect network. The internet, anything streamed over the internet, assumes an imperfect network. So there's an enormous number of safeguards and ways that the stream, no matter how it's constructed, utilizes these safeguards, and it just results in a little bit of a more of a lag than you would get with broadcast. You know, when you broadcast TV or radio signal in a traditional way, that signal, they could have a seven-second delay for profanity or whatever, but if you didn't have that, it effectively goes immediately out. There's no client-to-broadcaster relationship. They don't know if somebody got the signal or not, right? And so it immediately goes out at the speed of a radio wave, and um, it's either consumed or it isn't. And the reason it's generally consumed is because there's an end-to-end standardization that requires it to work that way. You don't have any of that in streaming. You could have different codecs, and they don't have to be standardized, and it may not work, and you have to have account for unstable networks because there's a client-server relationship. And so there's buffers built into the whole thing. The encoders have a buffer themselves. Then the server might have a buffer. And if it's not expected to be a ultra low latency event or they're doing ad insertion, you have additional buffers for the ads often. And so all that can add up to where when you hear low latency in streaming now, it's typically more like a 10 to 30 second delay. That's considered low latency. Now you might hear some people say it's only a second of latency at the encoder, but you haven't actually distributed it yet. And and so it, it, it's not really architected to work the same way in a nutshell. 
So this is a feature, not a bug, really. <laughs> it's not a bug. Um, there's delays in other things, too, that people don't realize. If you use a DVR at home, that's delayed, right? The DVR buffers your stream on regular TV. Um, you can tell that if you turn on a TV without going through a set-top box or use one of the little standard set-top boxes and you have a TV going with a DVR, that DVR signal is delayed. I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but obviously this relates to all sorts of live experiences where you might want some kind of audio stream that is, if not real time, then within a couple seconds of the actual live experience. Is there a way to do that in a network? Or does this mean that terrestrial radio is basically here to stay? I think a lot of times people look at media as a whether it's going to stay or not in a binary way. And it's been proven that that's not really the case where you end up with a lot of things coexisting, right? And maybe some things die out over decades, for example. While the value of radio broadcasters has gone down over time, there's still people listening to radio, tons of it. And I can tell you that, like in the case of Abacast, our average listening session was 56 minutes because people would go to work and they would stream a radio station. And they'd leave it on all day, right? And people don't have radios at home anymore as much, right? But now people are listening again with Alexa or or through Google. So I'm not sure if it's making a comeback. To answer your question about streaming, you could drive the latency down a lot, especially because it's audio. And audio doesn't require as much buffering as video does by any stretch of the imagination. Um, would you get it down to two seconds? Maybe. That'd be really hard. One thing that would make that even more difficult is if there's an ad in the broadcast. So if you took the feed straight out of the broadcast booth, you probably could get it down to maybe five seconds. It'd be worth playing around with. I don't know the exact number. But if there's an ad and it's a broadcast ad, actors for the same ad that are on the Internet that are on broadcast don't get paid the same way. And it was actually a requirement from a group called AFTRA, the Actors and Film Television Group, to remove ads and replace them on the Internet. That's why radio had a big head start in terms of ad insertion. Radio stations were required to do this back in 2005, I think it was. But that required a lot of buffering because there was only two ways to do it. One was you'd either do it on the server, which would make for a clean break, or the other way was to do it on the client and you just kind of mute the existing ad and pave over it. The problem with that is an ad would be 30 seconds, but it might actually be 29.1 or something like that. It would make it really not a clean break. And professional broadcasters really dislike gaps pops, snaps, <laughs> things that pave over other things that shouldn't be paved over. So it was hard on the client to make it make it seamless. And we always did it on the server for Abacast, for example. A big thanks to Rob Green for emailing and for jumping on the line to share those insights. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. 
On the subject of bridging terrestrial and internet radio, I got this email from Seattle tech industry veteran Darren Nakuda, who is now senior director of software engineering for self-driving technology company Wabi. Hey, Todd, just read your story about AM versus digital radio for listening to the ballgame and had a funny story to share. Back around 97 or 98, I worked at a web development company that ran the Mariners website as well as Kyra Radio's site. This was back in the days of real audio, he writes. Of course, that was the technology and still is the technology from Seattle-based Real Networks. He continues, we wanted to provide a live stream of games on the web. So what did we do? We found an old boombox, dialed it to 710 AM, and patched the headphone jack into the sound card on my workstation. It worked like a champ, though every now and then someone would email the webmaster saying the stream was a little staticky and we had to jiggle the antenna or do a little fine-tuning. Ah, the good old days. (laughs) I love that story. Thanks to Darren Nakuda for sharing it. And finally, here's what Major League Baseball had to say on this topic via email. MLB utilizes a third-party technology service provider to execute the distribution of home and road audio feeds digitally for all 2,430 regular season games, in addition to the postseason, in its owned and operated products. Due to technological limitations in the digital space, latency of the feeds is unavoidable. We've had success working with our partner to reduce the latency times, and we will continue to work on future improvements. That was the statement from MLB in response to my inquiry this week. That part about continuing to work on future improvements may sound promising, but given what they seem to acknowledge and also what Rob Green explained to us earlier, the current technological setup seems highly unlikely to create the kind of true, real-time, streaming, audio play-by-play scenario that I imagined. Hey, before we go, I should mention that GeekWire is partnering with the Mariners to present a special Work From the Ballpark Day at T-Mobile Park this Wednesday, September 7th. If you purchase a special ticket, you can bring your laptop and bag into the game, which no, you normally are not allowed to do. And you can work from the Hit It Here Cafe in the stadium as you watch the Mariners take on the Chicago White Sox. More info at mariners.com remote. And of course, don't forget your AM radio. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Thanks for listening to this abbreviated episode and have a great holiday weekend. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold.